Thomas, you have dressed up today for the podcast. I'm not dressing up for the podcast. This is how I came in. That's right. This is a long day playing keyboards here. You don't see my tie. That's true. You do always dress like this. I'm sorry I said that. Well, I, I dressed up as well. I have the Nike shirt on, which I feel, you know, because I'm, I'm. You're always just doing it. I'm always just doing it. Uh, I'm a pretty consummate athlete. And I feel like, you know, if you've listened to this pro- this podcast before, you know how much I love sports, um, how athletic I am. I think you can tell from my musical choices of what I talk about that I am an athletic person. Uh, today. Man, you got me tired already. <laughs> That's me on the podcast. Sharing a song with something to say about it. With Thin Lear and Niagara Moon. Losing my opinion. This is, uh, what's it called again? Losing my opinion. I'm Thomas Irwin, a.k.a. Niagara Moon. I'm Matt Longo, a.k.a. Thin Lear. I was listening to one the other day where uh, we started disagreeing about what the title of the podcast was. Yeah, I, uh, I blanked there pretty hard for a second, if I remember right. Well, we've worked it out now. You know you know what it is? It's, it's on this, I said this before, on this podcast, we believe that the only truly important opinion is your own. So keep it to yourself. So you don't lose it. But we're going to be losing ours today, right? Well, losing our minds. Yeah. <laughs> losing our yeah, minds. Yeah, that's already happened. <laughs> well, I, you, you told me in a, in a text message earlier that you have something that is, uh, you're, you're coming in with a lot of force. Yeah, you're, you're due for a reckoning this week, okay. Matthew Longo. Uh, well, that sounds terrifying. So I guess I will go first because it doesn't sound like I'll survive your segment. <laughs> no, you probably won't. Well, I, I want to talk about something. Actually, you'll you'll appreciate hearing this. This is an artist that I've wanted to cover since we started doing this, um, and it's actually an artist I wanted to cover way back when, uh, when you asked me to be on the Niagara Moon podcast. Ah, uh, yes. There was a record that I had wanted to do, and I just felt like I don't have the podcast skills yet to handle this appropriately. Uh, I felt similarly about the Sam Cooke episode. Um, I feel now as if the skills are maybe not quite as awful as they were at the beginning and that I can maybe tackle this with some degree of competency. Uh, You be the judge, listener. Uh, And you'll be happy to hear that this artist, she's one of the reasons I even wanted to do this podcast to begin with. Oh, boy. Because it's someone who I feel needs to have their name like yelled from the rooftops. Um, I've been a fan of hers for about a decade now. I wish I'd have known about her for longer because her voice just like, just really enriched my life. And I'll say right off the bat, it's not everybody's cup of tea. Um, but also if you don't like it, then I hate you. Uh, Can I make one guess as to who you're about to talk about just to see if I nail it? Wow. So much confidence. Okay. Yeah. Joanna Newsom. No. Okay. No, I, I do. I do like her voice. I know some people don't. But I, I do enjoy it. Do you? I like Van Dyke Parks. He he uh, worked on one of her albums, so that's pretty swell. She she's all right. She's she's got a cool thing going on. Yeah. Mm. Well, I guess I have a question to start off with, and and it does relate to what I'm talking about. Why does tragedy elevate the legacy of some but not others? Like like what kind of perfect storm does it take 
to dredge up the brilliance of a doomed artist and put them back mm. in people's minds again. Like we, we come back to Nick Drake a bunch on yeah. this podcast. And we also, you know, we talked about um, Ted Lucas uh, in, in an episode that uh, I was just listening to. Uh, we, we come back to this idea of like, the doomed artist and, and why do they resurface? And it's like sad and it's also amazing. And there's this like perversion too, mm. when you're getting into that of like, oh, it was so awful. Their life was so awful. No one cared. But Elliot I, Smith. Right. Yeah. And, and there's that feeling as a fan of like, but I care. I'm the one who cares. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a weirdness that we have with these yeah. artists, with these doomed lives. I understand you. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, what do you think it takes? What is the perfect storm of the doomed artists being brought back into uh, critical consciousness? Mm, oh, this is a very heady question, sir. It's morbid to say, but an early death is pretty important. You know, somebody who's kind of like frozen in their youth. Mm. And then somebody who you just know was not an extrovert and not an attention seeker, even though they wanted to share their art. Mm. I think that's a pretty key indicator. Uh, I don't know, man. You're bringing me down quick. What do, what do you got? <laughs> well, I, I, I agree sort of with, with both of those things. I, I don't really have an answer for it. I mean, part of why I was asking it was just because I get so um, exasperated when I see it happen for certain artists and not for yeah. others. Yeah. Uh, and, and my argument today concerns one of the very best, most idiosyncratic voices in music. And, th and that goes for any genre. So we're talking today about Karen Dalton. So it, if, and, and if, I don't know if you, if you know her, it sounds like you, you do. Hey, I was, I lived in Japan for three years. You, you hear about the carpenters plenty. Okay. Well, that's Karen. a weird fixation with Karen Dalton over there. That's Karen Carpenter. Wait, who's Karen Dalton? We're going to talk about her. Fuck. We're going to talk about her. Don't <laughs> worry. You can edit that out later. All right. All right. Uh, so Karen Dalton, how do I describe it? Uh, okay. If, if, a, if a rain cloud that never opened had a voice, it'd be mm. Karen Dalton's. I think it sounded like hers. Her voice, it, it cracks and it breaks and it winds around melodies. It presents you with like... Um, gradients of sadness, mm. like just just sadness with a level of complexity. It brings to mind like Otis Redding's "These Arms of Mine," you know, where there's like exuberance in the sadness. It's the kind of voice that reminds you of why you should always be listening to music you've never heard before, because you might mm. just find this. Very brief background. Swear to God, I'll keep it brief. I'll <laughs> do my best. Uh, but she was part of the folk scene in Greenwich Village in the early '60s. With, with your boy, Dylan. Uh, she blew everybody away there. Uh, at one point, Dylan said that she was his favorite singer. Oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, when you hear her, you, you'll kind of see why he liked her, especially at that point in his life, because he was on the hunt for his sound. Uh, he was like trying on different hats. He was looking for authenticity or how to, looking for how to approximate authenticity. And there's a weight of authenticity with her that Dylan probably wished he had right off the bat. Um, mm. she, recruited, she recorded two albums. Both of them are brilliant. Uh, it's so hard to tell who's going to love you the best, which is a great album title. Uh, and In My Own Time. You really can't go wrong with either record. Um, she did most of the songs in one take. It was all late at night. You really hear like spontaneity and electricity in the recordings. Like you can kind of mm. tell 
that it was done. Not it doesn't sound ramshackle, but you can tell that they're sort of feel even the players are feeling their way through it. Uh, we'll start with we'll start with her best known song. It's called Something on Your Mind. I don't know any of her songs. I, I use the term best known very loosely as I think it's like still she's known in wider circles now than uh, before. I think a lot of prominent indie artists have covered her like mm. Angel Olsen, St. Vincent. Um, it's usually the first tune people hear from her as I think it's sort of like it's a really neat package of everything that makes her great. And it also kind of sounds like a single like it has that like intangible magic. Here we go. Instantly awesome. It's tight. Yesterday. <laughs> anyway, you made it was just fine. So you turn your days into nighttime. Her voice is so modern sounding. Yes. Yeah, this is ahead of its time by like 30 years. I'm sorry I'm not saying anything. I just I just really like this. You just gotta let the song play. Stop it there because I can just listen to the whole thing. Oh, that is hot stuff. It's hot. Uh, and it sounds like a single, right? Like, it sounds like, you know, like, like we, we come back to these labels. But like, Jag Jaguar released. I was going to say, that exact one, yeah. From 2017. We need to stop talking to each other, I think that means. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, it's it's that kind of, it has that kind of feel. Yes, I do think it's ahead of its time. What do you think about that voice? Because I've played it for people before who've been like, Eh, you know, like who haven't, who haven't responded to the voice or they've been like, oh, I really like the instrumentation or whatever, but. Somebody once said it, maybe it was Lester Bangs, like 80% of music is context. So if you have that voice and you're another drop in the ocean of like indie rock bands with singers that kind of have strange affectations and odd registers, if I tried to think about it, I bet I could name a few bands like that. You know, I can go either way. It doesn't really draw me in, or it, it, it can feel artificial in that case, maybe sometimes. The idea that she came up with Bob Dylan in the 60s in New York City, you know, first of all, to be like a woman in that scene in the music industry and to be a singer-songwriter, that's like already pretty rough stuff. And then she's that unconventional sounding, like around the Woodstock era, that's just that's a cool outsider. There's there's a story there, mm-hmm. regardless even of you know your your personal taste on that sound. And then, but just thinking of that, like thinking of how she's just so doing her own thing, and the music is also kind of strange too, mm. the way it's plodding along. And so, just the whole combination, um, I really dig the voice in that context for sure. 
You're right in that it could sit alongside, you know, when I hear her, I think like a really cleaned up version of this voice it's sort of echoed in like what Chan Marshall, like Cat Power, yep, yep, does. So Cat Power, Angel Olsen, Jessica Pratt. Mm. Um, I hear it like phosphorescent, you know, like that that voice that just like you know it breaks, but it sounds gorgeous. It sounds intentionally so. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, as you can tell, and you're sort of hinting this a little bit as well, I think. But as you can tell from the depth of feeling there, uh, she did not have an easy life, um, and I think some of, some of the context. Um, I think maybe has helped her uh, critical resurgence just because, you know, especially in the indie crowd, people sort of love the doomed artist. Uh, her story is, is particularly heartbreaking. They actually just came out with a, a documentary in 2020, I think, um, about her life. That's really good. I recommend watching it. Uh, but she had two children very young. Like uh, um, she was like around 21 mm. and she had a lot of tumultuous relationships, had an obviously difficult and soul-crushing music career uh, for the re- some of the reasons that you uh, discussed before. Major substance abuse problems with alcohol and heroin, and she died in, in her 50s from AIDS-related illnesses. Uh, and when I first heard her, I didn't have any of that context. Uh, when, I found, when I found all that out, it felt like one of those... Um, unearthed tragedies like a Nick Drake kind of thing. And I keep going back to him because he's sort of like the foundation of that for me. Cause I remember hearing pink moon and being like, how do people not like this? And then hearing about the rest of his story. Uh, and it wasn't like a Sid Barrett thing or whatever, where it was like, you know, he kind of just kept living or uh, he was still celebrated. Like it, 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 you know, with her, I, I definitely at the time that I got into her and I'm not saying this like a hipster, like, she was not widely celebrated. I think people who loved her really loved her. And I think that's still the case to a certain extent, but she's sort of hitting with a wider crowd. You know, I think Mm. Adele recently said that she had an amazing voice. So she's getting out there. And I do think it will become one of those Nick Drake, like Phoenix rising from the ashes stories Mm. in time. Um, I, I kept coming back to this phrase as I was listening to her and thinking about her and thinking about Nick Drake. And these records... Like they are the artifacts of pain and, and we love it from massively popular artists like Kirk Cobain. Is that from one of your songs? Is that a lyric from Thin Layer? No, it's, it's going to okay. be, it should be. Uh, we love it from Kirk Cobain, but like we love it even more from people who never had a chance to shine to begin with. Uh, there's like, and that's the perversion that we were talking about in the beginning. Like, do you feel drawn to, not just unheard artists or unheard brilliance, but unheard darkness. Personally, no. I, uh, you know, maybe I'm um, wired different, but I get so focused on how the sound of the music hits me, regardless of context, hmm. that you, what you just showed me, I mean, obviously her backstory is compelling, but like what I just heard was enough for me to want, want to totally dig into hmm. her discography after we're done with this phone call. Like, yeah, I get like all, I can jam out to something like her. I can jam out to some silly, stupid '80s radio pop like Hall Notes. It's it's I kind of just well, they had a they had horrible lives too. Yeah, I mean, that's <laughs> such, such tragedies. Yeah, what goes on at Daryl's house? Right. <laughs> yeah, I want to listen to a song next that shows her light touch, and it's a track that doesn't have heavy backing. It's a song called "Little Bit of Rain." 
And she's just like dancing across this one. And it almost has like an old timey delivery, like with, with like a Billie Holiday kind of thing. And you hear it. It, it does. The, the, the backing reminds me of like Fairport Convention, like Richard Thompson kind of stuff. Um, but see what you think of this one. If I should leave you. Yeah, Billie Holiday. Try to remember all the good times. Long days filled with sunshine. And just a little bit of rain. I love that Richard Thompson like guitar, you know? It's just barely there. Rhythm's pretty loose. <laughs> the tuning's pretty loose. I just love that. It sounds like Velvet Underground. It does. It does. Yeah. The third album specifically. <laughs> As he pushes his glasses up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I love that tune. Um, it's like, I'm, I'm going to say something that's odd and that you'll probably have to heavily edit later uh but and it's way more emotional i think than the listeners of the podcast are, are prepared for but the the flip side of that i do have that perversion of like being drawn to these artists uh that kind of context and being like well what was being said here you know what, what were they what were they saying what were they saying about the the, the tragedy they were going through you don't uh, have enough problems in your own life <laughs> well well it goes back to, uh, I don't remember who uh, the artist was. I think it was um, Bonnie Prince Billy. Mm. We were talking about country music. I think it's the second episode of our amazing podcast. And we were talking about this kind of music or sad music being like a vaccine against mm. the tragedy you go through in your own life. And that sometimes you'll hear a song and it'll conjure up an emotion that you won't experience until later on. You'd be like, oh, actually, I felt that when I was listening to this song. You start to connect the dots and make a web with all of the art that you've interfaced with up to that point. This kind of music, country does it for me. This isn't quite country, but you know, th this kind of uh, bare soul uh, singing does that for me. And those gradients of sadness where you know, there were things that I went through later after connecting with her voice that... Uh, I realized it was her voice that was soundtracking those moments in my mind. Ka Karen's slow rise back to public consciousness, and this, I'm, I'm, this is a, a, not a dark note. Karen's, her rise back to public consciousness is, is really a beautiful thing. And it's like one of my favorite reasons to be alive because you get to see that. Like when people like, we talk about Rodriguez, you know, or, or, yeah. or her or Jim Sullivan. Uh, it's a Cinderella story. Yeah. Like not not all of those folks lives lived in tragedy, 
but when those ignored talents start to catch some steam and they have they have those Nick Drake arcs where everyone goes like, oh, they were brilliant. Okay, we, you know, we were wrong. It, it just gives you hope in, in the justice of the universe. And, and you hear her story and the life she lived. And you want to talk about like who deserves deserves success for sharing their art and sharing their pain with listeners. She deserves it. Like if, if the word deserves is, if that's real, if that exists in the universe, she deserves it. Uh, and it could ultimately end up being less of a sad story if we start to get even more critical consensus that her voice was otherworldly. And it is still her story, even though she's not here. Uh, it doesn't change the fact that she's living on in this way. Um, so, you know, as, as pessimistic as I want to get sometimes about why I'm drawn to certain artists, I feel very positively about that that part of it. Well, I'm speechless. Thank you. I'm without speech. Thank uh, you. Yeah, it's, it's always great to see an artist just win by the merit of their art mm-hmm. and none of the other bullshit. Mm-hmm. Which is rare and maybe getting rarer, depending on how old man grumpy you want to be. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, that second song, I wasn't as into as much as the first one. That first one fucking slaps. I'm going to download that whole album later. Yeah, I, you've, you know what? If a lot of this podcast might just be navel-gazing, self-serving, Whatever you want to call it, I think you've done the world a, a good public service today. We've we've accomplished something this yeah. week. No, I'm real proud of myself right now. Um, I'm gonna play. <laughs> I'm gonna play one last tune. Um, this is more along the lines of I think what she was doing when she was in playing in places like Cafe Wa. Um, Cafe Wa. Ex- right. Exactly. That might not make the edit. Uh, uh, <laughs> that was a rough dad joke. Uh, <laughs> so the song is "Reason to Believe." which you probably know. At the end of every hard and dead people find some. That is the Springsteen song, okay. which is a different right. song uh, and not good. But oh. The, oh. I do like Nebraska. I do not like that song. Oh, okay. Uh, my uncle will be very upset with me right now. He's a big Springsteen fan. Um, I, do love, I do love that record. Uh, so, so Reason to Believe is a Tim Harden song. Rod Stewart actually does a really popular version that is great. Don't care what anybody says. It's very great. It's from uh, his album, Every Picture Tells a Story, which is a really good record. But uh, this song is not actually on either of her proper studio albums. It's a collection of recordings from a reel-to-reel called 1966, and it's from that time. So I'm going to play that now. And it's really, I think some people argue like this is her and her real element, and, and they might be right. I love the way she sings this line. It's so. Oh, it feels very contemporary. Yeah. 
Love that. Love it. Uh, And going back to our Randy Newman, Bob Dylan arguments about quote unquote, like good vocals. You hear that. Who gives a shit about standards of tone or pitch or whatever? Like, does it make your jaw drop? Then it's beautiful. And it's a great voice. And like, that's the end of the story. Aww. Round of applause. So I feel a tremendous weight off of my shoulders now that I've spoken about her because I've I've wanted to I've wanted to talk about her since we since when you asked me to do this podcast and I have a few other artists like that that I feel like I feel ready I have the courage to talk about them. Wow. Well, I really want to check out her music, and I also just feel like a big jerk. You should, yeah. (laughs) Just in general, but also because of this, yeah. Well, you know what? We're going to steamroll right along anyway. That's what we're going to do. Um, I guess it's time for me to tell you what's what. Mm-hmm. So how are we doing, Matt? Are we, are we feeling okay? I feel great. Yeah. I right? mean, you told me you're going to terrorize me now, so I'm sort of just get, Can I get waiting. you anything? No. <laughs> you know, I just want to say I'm a little concerned. Uh, I'm wondering, like, maybe have you uh, seen a doctor recently? Maybe tried to get a referral to an ENT? No. Because it seems like your hearing's not working. Um, okay. Is this because is this I didn't know the Joni Mitchell song was on that record? Are you going to make me listen no, to no, Old no. Blue right now? No, no, no. It's not about your head. It's about, it's about your ears. About my ears. Okay. Uh, a little birdie told me um, you're not so much into Brian Wilson and the Boys of Beach. Okay. Is that correct? Okay, okay. Let me explain what... So we had a very specific conversation that I feel like is being taken out of context here. I'll say, I think he's a genius. I think Brian Wilson's a genius. God Only Knows might be the best song ever written. I think, like, hands down. I think it might be the best song ever written. I think um, (laughs) that's actually a perfect photo of him. He's eating a vinyl. I think it's a 45. Uh, So maybe he's not that hungry. So, yeah, he's, he's a genius. I, I think Good Vibrations is also one of the best songs ever. It's very high up there. Don't Worry Baby, amazing. I mean, I think the pieces of Smile are brilliant, incredible. Pet Sounds is a great album. But I think there are some songs on there that I just... I just do not gravitate towards. Like I don't, when people compare like, oh, Sgt. Pepper's and Pet Sounds, like, oh, they're neck and neck. They're right next to each other. I just don't see how. When the songwriting is there, like God Only Knows, Wouldn't It Be Nice, even a song like Sloop John B, which some people are like, oh, that's like a B-side type song. I think the songwriting strong enough where it holds up now. That's a cover. Sloop John B. Sure. Um, Caroline No, you know, there, there, the songwriting there that that is just brilliant still. But then there are other tunes that I feel I just don't, they don't grab me. So that's what I have to say about uh, Brian Wilson. So no, I do think he's a genius. What's a tune on Pet Sounds that you're like, yeah, this ain't worth nothing? I'd have to look at the track listing. Um, Pull it up, big boy. You're going to make me defend my dislike of each song on Pet Sounds? No, just I want something to work with here. Because so far I just heard a bunch of, they're great, they're great, they're great. But uh, I think it's the magnitude of the record, like in terms of the critical consensus, where it's like, this is one of the best albums of all time. Well, uh, at the time, it was not received that way. That's, yeah, that's the the legend that's uh, built up in following decades. But I, I, so my first 
instinct here is, are you just getting hung up on the lyrics, which are admittedly just uh, pretty trite a lot of the time? No, I mean, sometimes, okay, a song like That's Not Me. Oh, that's a great song. It just doesn't. So you're telling me that you hear that song, you hear all the parts going on in that song. I'm a big lots of parts going on at the same time kind of guy. Maybe you're mm-hmm. not, but no. you hear all the careful orchestration and all the little bits of melody and harmonic ideas and the way that everything fits together and regardless of what the song is saying. And by the way, I think the lyrics of that are kind of worth something for 60s pop, but you're saying you hear all that and you're like, nah. It just doesn't... Maybe it's because of how it's always positioned against Sgt. Pepper's. And that record... You can't just enjoy it in its own terms? Uh, not when we're talking about, like, who's the GOAT album. You know, like, not when it's that conversation. Uh, That's the issue I take so you're getting hup, hung up on its stature. Exactly. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, well, all we do is talk about stature on this podcast. <laughs> this is like the stature podcast. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's, and it's not like that I dislike That's Not Me, but, like, they're, Sgt. Pepper's, to me, still sounds modern. And like there are songs on this record that do not that do not hold up in that way. And 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 talking about um like busy arrangements, like the end of God Only Knows, right? That's busy as hell. But it's I was listening to it the other day with my wife. We were talking about how ridiculous the arrangement is. It's incredible because the weight of the songwriting is behind it. Like I don't feel like that's there in every song on the record in the way that it is with Sgt. Pepper's minus within you, without you. <laughs> I like that song, but I it's get okay. why it kind of sticks out on the album too. Well, I feel like at some point we had a conversation and you identified yourself as not a fan. Like if you had to pick one or the other, it seems like these hangups are enough for you to be like, I'm not, I'm not going to call myself a Beach Boys enthusiast. Like if you probably didn't. Did you see Love and Mercy? I haven't. People say that it's like an amazing. Yeah, that's uh, the best music biopic I've seen. Why? It's just really good. Maybe you should find out for yourself. Uh, Paul Dano nails it, the scenes. I will say the stuff with Cusack when he's like older in the 80s and kind of fucked up. Like it, it's that's like decent movie level, but it also just I'm a nerd and I want to see Pet Sounds recreated. I want to like imagine what those sessions were like and the extent that they go to with that and uh, what Dano does and just like how everything's paced and, and depicted that. It's just fucking awesome. It's uh, mm. especially for a nerd like me. It's like exactly what you would want from a movie like that. So there, they, there's a lot of studio time. A lot of studio time. I could have done with more, but <laughs> you know, I'm probably not the best judge on that. Um, mm. it, it goes between that and then John Cusack like talking out the side of, side of his mouth and hooking up with Elizabeth Banks. Um, but it's a very good movie. Interesting. But uh, you know, I don't want to blabber too much more. I want to play my favorite song from Pet Sounds. And it is hard to pick because I think every song on there is a winner. I want to play the favorite one and see if I can get your cold heart of steel to to melt just a little bit. Okay. I hope that it's one that I don't love. I also, I should say, (laughs) whenever I hear too much like Mike Love influence, I start to (laughs) recoil and it just doesn't, doesn't do it for me. When he starts doing his like... I was going to make that noise. Yeah. That's like his function in that band is to make that noise. (laughs) And to uh, make sure the money keeps coming in. Make sure the money keeps coming in, mainly for himself. I'm showing you, I just wasn't made for these times. 
This is the one song from the Pet Sound Sessions where the uh, lyricist Tony Asher didn't really get what Brian Wilson was getting at. He's like, I, I don't know what you're trying to capture with this one. I don't know what these feelings are you're describing. Mm. So naturally, that's the one that I think is the most uh, interesting and nuanced. And uh, it's also the song that uh, the show Mad Men used for like the scene where all the main characters took acid for the first time. Mm. So kudos to Mad Men. I think that's a pretty tasteful pick. So we're gonna we're about to listen. I just wasn't made for these times. Just I listened to this. I mean, it's probably a little stupid to say, but hell, I'll say it anyway. Just all the parts going on and how everything just locks together and creates a mood. I mean, on the scale of Bach, maybe a little bit, it's apples and oranges, but it's just like, I feel like I'm just experiencing the universe mm. through, uh, through a tune like this. So let's get it going. I keep looking for a place to fit in where I can speak my mind. And I've been trying hard to find the people that I won't leave behind. They say I got brains, but they ain't doing me no good. I wish they could. Each time things start to happen again, I think I got something good going for myself. But what goes? Is that is that Brian singing or uh I can't tell him apart. I forget yeah. who it is. It's probably is Brian, yeah. Uh it's 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 usually all of them in different uh formations, sometimes in tandem. It's yeah. I'm not going to argue with you. I mean, that song is great. <laughs> it's not my favorite song on the record. I think that goes to God only knows because that's just Yeah, it's a, the easy choice, yeah. Yeah, jeez. Uh <laughs> Sorry. Um, Has yeah, anything I, about what you just said changed? That's what I'm mainly curious about. No, no, because I think my issue with it is not, I mean, I don't have an issue with it. It's a great record. It's just the, you know, it's stature in the pantheon of like, you know, Rolling Stones, top, whatever. Like it's always like one of the lead boomer albums. And I think it's because of the context of when it came out. Whereas, you know, Sgt. Pepper's, there's, there's like obviously a ton of that too. I feel like you could hear that record without any of that cultural context and still still be moved the whole Matt, time. Matt, I have a confession to make. What? I don't care if you like Brian Wilson and the Beach Boys or not. I got bigger fish to fry today. There's somebody I want to talk to you about way more. You okay, you this? have a second argument against me? I'm pulling me? the old switcheroo on you. Jeez. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, I Brian, like? Will, Brian Wilson, his legacy is secure. He's made millions. Everybody loves him. Everybody's talked about him nonstop for the last goddamn 30, 40 years. Love and Mercy's great, but it's like, I get it. We're moving on. I got somebody else that's even better. You ready for, you ready for this? I, I, I think. <laughs> I'm really struggling to figure out who you're, what you're going to talk about. What if I told you, Mr. Thinlier, that there is an artist 
with the angelic vocal ability and goofiness of Harry Nelson without the alcoholism. Okay. With the composition and arrangement talents of Brian Wilson without the deeply unfortunate mental illness. Okay. And the production techniques of Phil Spector without being a psychoegomaniac. What if I told you there was an artist that blended all three? I think I know who you're talking about. I'm talking about H.E.L. Taki, of course. I do you not. remember him. <laughs> I thought you were gonna I thought you were gonna bring up uh like a Van Dyke Parks. I thought you were gonna Nah, Van Dyke Parks is uh he's cool. I, I'm definitely into him, but he's that's oranges and apples. We're talking about oranges and apples. H.E.L. Taki, and you remember that name, right? Remember I do, yes. Yeah, Wait, you actually do? Yeah, you you spoke about him in the podcast. All right, was it three podcasts ago. Five points to Mister Mister Matt there. I yes. do listen when you're talking to me. Yeah, okay. I know it doesn't. Seem I don't like listen when me. you're talking to me. So <laughs> that's clear. Uh, I think from my facial expressions, it doesn't always look like I'm alive. But so this guy behind me here is the man. Uh, yes, he was a member of that band Happy End that mm-hmm. I talked about. By the way, I really I'm going to try to not turn into Quentin Tarantino with my level of... Uh... So here's the deal, all right? There's a Japanese band. Right. <laughs> okay, the pinnacle of the genre. No, I don't want to do that today. We're going to go a little more slow and steady here. But Calm. Okay. I can get to the entirety of this man's discography in a second, but I want to listen to a tune with you that I particularly enjoy. I will say it was very hard to pick a song to introduce... H.E.L. Taki with, but I'm going to go with the first one that I ever heard from him. Always a good choice. Almost 10 years ago now, Jesus. A uh, little bit more of an introduction. This song is called Kimi wa Tenen Shoku, which if I were to haphazardly translate that means you are a natural color. Is there a connection that you see between him and Brian Wilson? Like in, in terms of their their skills as arrangers? We'll, we'll get into it. Let's okay. listen to the tune. So you ready? So we got to tune up the instruments a little bit. that sounded sonically good in 
she singing too? man produces, he orchestrates, he sings, he writes, he performs. You got his old bandmates from Happy End coming in to contribute here and there, which I think is cute. Even after they broke up, they're still playing on his albums eight years later. Uh, he's just the fucking man all around. So now I'll, uh, I'll start taking questions. I can see why that group is so uh, beloved. I mean, I had, I think there were, there were there are four four guys, right, that you said sort of splintered off. And I'd heard of two of those artists. I had not heard of uh him. Uh but obviously I mean, what did he play in the initial band? He played guitar in the band and he wrote half the songs. We'll go all right, let's go on a little journey of his career. So Happy End broke broke up at the end of seventy two. Uh, he quickly released a solo album that was very much kind of in the same vein, like Neil Young-ish, okay. kind of sparse folk rock. It's a great first record, very different from this. Uh, and then he was very much uh, like behind the mixing console studio nerd more and more and like made a lot of money doing like commercial jingles and like loved that. And like relatively early on was like producing f- for other artists and uh, his own albums for a while were very nerdy. Um, like they were just very, you mentioned what, what's his connection to Brian Wilson. He is just like, you listen to his stuff, especially, especially from that period. And you're like, okay, this guy just like hung out by his radio all day and mm-hmm. just like fixated on like Joe Meek and all the Phil Spector wall sound stuff and mm-hmm. all the fifties pop. And he just, he's like an encyclopedia in that way. He just loves uh, referencing all this different, like old fashioned American music. And a lot of his songs, like he'll like, imitate Elvis for 10 seconds and all that kind of like goofy referential like music nerd shit and that was like his vibe for a while and those albums are still pretty cool he founded his own record label called Niagara um, and he did this collaboration with like two other Japanese singer-songwriters who were famous at the time called Niagara Triangle there's like a Niagara theme going on he's got one called Niagara Calendar he's got one called Niagara Moon no big deal Mm mm-hmm and then it wasn't selling like his commercials jingle stuff was doing pretty well, but it was just, he was getting kind of criticized for somebody's explained it as you can tell that he's enjoying making the music and all this like nerdy in jokes more than like the listener might end up. Sure. Take that with a grain of salt. There's still a lot of bangers in the rest of that seventies period, but then he got real and he went double platinum with this album along vacation was just a groundbreaker in the the Japanese rock scene at the time. Like a lot of people kind of will credit him with starting this style of recorded music or city pop. So he did this album along vacation. Then he did one more in 84 called Each Time. Both those are just utter masterpieces start to finish. They're on Spotify. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just fucking love them. And then he had the common courtesy after that to just step away from releasing albums like he still worked as a producer he would occasionally perform he had his hand in some pies but like he released he had peaked and then just you know it was done got got out of the way yeah which you, you also don't see that a lot you don't those those guys the members of that group were so uh creatively restless it's interesting that i mean just the the 
bare minimum that I know about their careers from you, like every record you play me from from one of the members or the members as a uh, group sounds incredibly different from the last. Uh, it's pretty wild experimentation with style. You bet your bippy. So I feel like talking to you especially, it might not be too hard to get you to agree with me that um, he's better than Brian Wilson. But are, are you willing to put those words together in sense? Jeez, man. I mean, I just, <laughs> I listened to one track. I'm not I got gonna, you on tape here. I'm not going to... Uh, uh, do, we'll do one more song. On Brian Wilson. I, I, unless it's better than God only knows, I'm not going to... I mean, I'm, I, I need to really <laughs> investigate the, the man's music. I, you know, still... I think you were thinking maybe I don't I didn't dig Brian Wilson, which is just not true. I mean, the guy you, the just, guy's you a don't genius. dig the the cultum around. I don't Brian dig Wilson. the the lore around Pet Sounds. That's all. That's it. Uh, okay. I'm actually even I'm even more interested in like the smile fragments, and I'm even more interested. Have in... Have you seen the a, Grand Coulee Dam? <laughs> maybe not that song, uh, but I. We'll talk about this in a separate podcast, but um, Dennis Wilson and Pacific Ocean Blue. Oh, yes. Of course, you're a fan of Pacific Ocean Blue. I love that record. Yes. But anyway, yeah, let's listen to another song. Maybe maybe I'll completely turn my back on the Beach Boys now. I'll treat you to one more tune. Okay. Maybe, you'll, maybe you'll lose your mind after this next one. So I'm going to play you the second song I ever heard from H.L. Taki. It's the one that follows right after this called Velvet Motel. I have no idea what the lyrics are about, but that's how I like it. Sounds like a soft motel. sweet but i'm gonna cut it off there that's a great tune like i said it was very hard to pick what to show you because every tune of his from a certain period on just has its charms is that the record you'd recommend people go to that one if they're yeah that's the best entry point yeah it was his biggest selling it's got a lot of his biggest hits but each time is just as good it's really the two of them you can't go wrong is that the sub the next release or yeah eighty four yeah. yeah and this one's eighty one 
So he was just in in the sweet spot at that point. So I will we'll end with this question. How much is it I'm just out of my fucking mind? How much is it that this music sounds better to me because it's like I'm the only one that knows about it and it doesn't have this whole cult following or beyond cult, just mainstream, you got to hear about it all the time, all the, boob- the boomers covet it, and it's like my own little secret. Or how much is it that, like I said earlier, you have an artist that just has like the best qualities of all these American musicians, but like none of their problems really, you know what I mean? Oh, it has to be a combination of those things. I mean, if you were hearing this on uh, Q1043 or whatever a million times, like, you know, you probably would not dig it the same way. I've heard these songs a lot. I'll just. <laughs> but you, I'll but you heard them in a way that it wasn't thrust upon you. Yes. Oh, and yeah. it was it was always your choice. And I think that's, you know, you talk about boomer music. Um, that's, I think, the reaction against it is when it feels like it. It has not been your choice to yes. be That's a very good point. forced to engage with it. Kind of like ELP and when I had to listen to them while working at the deli. For 20 minutes, no less. Yeah, yeah. Each right, because all their songs are at least half an hour long. But I, yeah, I, I do want to clear up for all the Brian Wilson, Brian Wilson heads out there. I, I, do, I do love the guy. Oh, he's an amazing songwriter. And I, and I really like Pet Sounds. But I don't, it's not one of my favorite, favorite records. The way it is for, I know people like cherish it. Um, and I hope I haven't insulted you today. You'd only insult me if you told me you didn't like H.E. Otaki. That's, that's, who I, that's who I really care about. Sure. And I do. I'm not prepared to say I like him better than Brian Wilson. But uh, I do, I do want to investigate his work. Let's go forth. Well, so what, what, yeah, what do we like? You're going to bring up the question. This has been harrowing. <laughs> we ask each other, right? Uh, well, we both we both tackled subjects today that were near and dear to our hearts, and I think that's important. Sometimes we're gonna do that. I mean, sometimes I'll bring in something really stupid, or you will. But today we brought in things that really mattered to us, and I think that that's what this podcast is all about: is just sub- subjecting the listener to that, and we've done that. So I think we learned that what matters most is our feelings. Yeah, not yours. And <laughs> Despite not, what I might have said your, at the beginning. Not yours, listener. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I guess what I'm going to learn is how many subscribers we're going to lose this week. I'm sure it's uh, incremental and, yeah, and it's sort of a daily occurrence. Well, you know what? I could be wrong now. Mm-hmm. But I don't think so. Oh, that was beautiful. Thank you, thank you. Well, hey, uh, we still like you, listener. Don't worry. Uh, please subscribe to our podcast. Give it a, <laughs> a nice rating. Leave a review. We'd love to hear mm-hmm. from you. Any, po- any platform you choose, even if it's not Apple Podcasts. You can also follow Losing My Opinion on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. And uh, Did we make a TikTok account yet? Oh, that's, I'll put that on you. That's your homework. Okay. I'm going to come up with some dance challenges to us talking about music. Oh, I don't want to even picture that. Um, we'll see you next time. Bye, everybody.